Hey, Heather. So, uh, yeah, yeah, definitely my better half. So, we had the opportunity to go to uh, Oregon a couple months ago, and frankly, um, I'm not an easily impressed or easily wowed person. Um, and I heard that Oregon was beautiful, um, that it had everything, mountains, oceans, forests, waterfalls, all of this. And I was like, okay, um, I can dream up some pretty incredible things. So I had these high expectations, and honestly, it completely blew my expectations out of the water. It was better than I imagined, which is, I don't know if that's been true in a lot of places I've gone to. Um, so I don't, I don't have adequate words to even explain the natural beauty that I saw there. Um, in fact, the pictures and the videos I took don't even do it justice. Um, but I'll, I'll try. Here's, here's a video I took. And everything's covered in moss. It's just, it, I mean, that doesn't even quite do it. It was incredible. Um, but the reason I'm talking about this is because in a lot of ways, this is, this is Jesus. We, we don't have adequate words to explain him. He is, he is by nature indescribable. And so I'm, I'm actually pretty intimidated today at the task of describing Jesus to you. Um, and, I'm, and I'm really humbled by it. But I'm excited at the same time because God's word is very clear about who Jesus is. So I'll just try to get out of the way and, and let him shine. So we're doing this series called His Name is Jesus, and we just sang a song called His Name is Jesus, and the whole goal is just that we would explore the wonder and awe of who Jesus is. So as you see the nativity set, you see mangers much like this one, um, you, you would go, wow, okay, that wasn't just a baby, that was, that was God himself, and be, be amazed, wowed, maybe for the first time, maybe for the millionth time, but you would just be amazed afresh by the person of Jesus Christ. And so for this series, as, as you can even see in the corners here, we're using um, the foretelling of Jesus' birth 700 years before it actually happened in Isaiah 9-6 as like our jumping off point. So I've got it here on the screen for you. Isaiah 9-6. For a child will be born for us, a son will be given to us, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be named Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. You can, you can hear the Handel's Messiah, can't you, as you read it? But last week we talked about him being the wonderful counselor. And this week we're talking about the name of Jesus that is Mighty God. And we saw last week two essential traits of a wonderful counselor. And we saw that in Hebrews chapter 4, that, that Jesus is both wise and empathetic, and he's both perfectly. And today we're going to see how Jesus is the mighty God. And so we're, we'll be in John chapter 1 this morning. John 1, 1 through 5. And if you have a Bible, you can turn there. I'll also have it on the screen for you all morning. So John 1, verse 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. All things were created through him, and apart from him, not one thing was created that has been created. In him was life, 
And that life was the light of men. That light shines in the darkness, and yet the darkness did not overcome it. Amen. So in verse 1, we see the Word. Okay, Who or what is John talking about? Well, we learn a few verses down in John chapter 1, verse 14. It says that the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And if that wasn't clear enough, who became flesh and dwelt among us? It says, we observed His glory, the glory as the one and only Son from the Father. Well, who's the only one, one and only Son from the Father? It's Jesus. So John tells us, he, he tells us what he's talking about when he says the word. He's talking about Jesus. But why the word to describe Jesus seems a little strange. Well, Warren Wearsby says this. Much as our words reveal to others our hearts and our minds, so Jesus Christ is God's word to reveal his heart and mind to us. Jesus is the physical manifestation of God to to show us what his mind and his heart is like. So he calls him the Word. And verse 1 and in verse 2, it says this Word was with God, and he was with God in the beginning. Now what does it mean by the beginning? It's not talking about day one of creation in Genesis. This is talking about All of the time before that, the continuous, timeless existence of Jesus and God the Father who continually existed before anything was even created. And they were never created. Also, the Holy Spirit was involved in that, which is the Trinity. And we're going to talk more about the Trinity in a minute. But first, I just want us to take a step back and go, wow, Jesus is eternal. You're like, yeah, I know that. No, no, think about it. This is, this is one of the most mind-blowing thoughts of Jesus. He had no beginning and he will have no end. Think about it. Everything in this room, everything in this city, in this world, in this universe had a beginning. Every person in this room, every person in this world, every person that was ever created had a beginning. Jesus had an earthly birthday, yes, and that's what we celebrate on Christmas, but don't be fooled. He was never created. He always was, and he always will be father and son, and they existed from eternity past, but they they didn't just exist. They enjoyed perfect relationship with one another. John 14, 24 says, Jesus is praying. He says, Father, I want those you have given me to be with me where I am so that they may see my glory which you have given me because you loved me before the foundation of the world. Before the foundation of the world. This is the beginning that we see here in John 1. They lived in perfect harmony, perfect unity in relationship. They truly lived. It's not like they were just floating around. They they lived perfectly. In great relationship. And so, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, but the Word wasn't just with God, the Word was God. Now, the Jehovah's Witnesses translation of the Bible says, A God. But Jesus is not a God, He is God. 
He was God. He is God. Deity, creator, sustainer, king of all. And so if you want to give a Jehovah's Witness a run for their money, you don't need to be a Greek scholar because all you have to do is go, you know what? You guys said a God here in verse 1. The same exact word is used in verse 6, 12, 13, and 18. In their translation, it doesn't say a God there. It says God. Inconsistent. It's a bad translation. Do it in respect, of course. But Jesus is God. There's, you, you look at the original language, there's no way that this says a God. It's God. Jesus is God himself, period. So in the midst of the chaos of Christmas, of Christmas parties, of Christmas services even, family gatherings, presents, don't forget the simple but profoundly history-altering fact that the baby Jesus in the manger is God himself. How was Jesus, the word, with God and God himself simultaneously? Add the Holy Spirit in and, and how they're all distinct, but yet one, how did this all work out? Well, there, there is a level of mystery here. And that just adds to God's majesty with him being the mighty God. How cool that the one true God cannot be grasped by our finite minds. That even points even more to how great he is. He truly is God. But I want to try to give you some handles on this. And Pastor J.D. Greer is a pastor out at the Summit Church in North Carolina. Did a fantastic job explaining this. So I just want to read a bit from him. He said there's a famous story about a Christian missionary named Timothy I who back in the 8th century was invited by one of the first Muslim caliphs to come to Mecca and defend the Trinity. Because the caliph said that if Jesus were God, that would mean there had to be two gods and that was blasphemy. And Timothy said, well, it's true, there's only one God. And then he explained the Trinity using John's example of the word. He said, when we communicate with someone, our minds first think a thought like, I feel hot. We then form that thought into the words of whatever language we're trying to communicate in. And then our vocal cords create vibrations in the air that carry those words to someone else's ears. Timothy said, so in the act of communicating, we have Three different things, thoughts, words, and vocal vibrations, all distinct from each other, yet one act of communication. You never say, I heard JD's words, but not JD. No, my, my thoughts and my words are me. So here's the crux of it. The Father is like the thought. The Son is the word. And the Spirit is like the vibration carrying the word to our ears. There's only one God, and the God who sits on heaven's throne is the Father. The God we see with our eyes, we hear with our ears, and touch with our hands is Jesus, and the God we feel moving in our souls is God the Spirit. The Word was with God, and the Word was God. Well done, J.D. And while all analogies fall short of the Trinity, this is the best one I've heard. God the Father being the thoughts, God the Son being the words, and then the vocal vibrations that go through the air and hit your ear. Distinct, 
yet one in the act of communicating. I think that gets close to what's going on here, to what the Trinity is like. So, moving on, verse 3. All things were created through him. I mean, what might here? What, what power? Every single thing was created by Jesus. Jesus, the Word, in the one creating is the one who created everything in Genesis 1. Genesis 1, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And then you see throughout Genesis 1, God said, let there be light. God said, let this happen. God said, let's make man in our image. God said this. He's speaking. Why? Why is God speaking? See, John, when he calls Jesus the Word, is, is hearkening back to Genesis and really calling him the Creator. Because God spoke everything into existence by words. Jesus is the mighty God who made every single thing. And in verse 4, it says, in him was life. Now we're not talking about simply being alive here. There's a lot of people and a lot of creatures that are physically alive. But not all are truly alive in the fullest sense, in a spiritual sense sense. John 5 24 says, truly I tell you anyone who hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and will not come under judgment but has passed from death to life. John uses this word over and over in his gospel and he's always referring to eternal life, spiritual life, spiritual life, eternal life only comes through believing in Jesus. That's what he says in John 5 24. In him was life, real life. Jesus didn't just create and bring physical life to everything. He did, but he didn't stop there. He's so powerful that he didn't just stop at speaking everything into existence as the word. No, he came as a baby. He lived. He died. He rose from the dead to offer people eternal life. Who could do that but God himself? The baby in the manger in the nativity holds the keys to life, real, lasting, life with him now and lasts forever. This is Jesus. And verse 4 goes on, and that life was the light of men. When we think of light, think of a flashlight. What's a, what's a flashlight do in a dark room? Anybody? Lights it up, right? Shows you where to go. You can see clearly now. When we believe in Jesus and receive the spiritual, eternal life that it's talking about here from Jesus, we receive the flashlight, so to speak, of Jesus. We receive spiritual eyes so we can see things properly from a heavenly perspective, from a God perspective. Jesus is so powerful, he didn't just stop by breathing life into everything. He's so powerful, he didn't stop at offering us eternal life. He's so powerful that he also gave us spiritual eyes to see and navigate life now to give us light. And the person and work of the Holy Spirit carries this out. That's why John calls him over and over the helper. In verse 5, it says, that light shines in the darkness, and yet the darkness did not overcome it. Jesus is the mighty God who gave us access to this spiritual 
flashlight that never goes out. And much like the Energizer Bunny, it just keeps... Okay, good, good. I was like, I wonder if they even remember that commercial. just keeps going and going and going and going. But in all seriousness, no matter how dark the world gets around you, no matter how dark your thoughts even become inside of you, no matter how dark or cruel others become to you, the eternal life and light of Jesus cannot be snuffed out inside of you. That's what verse 5 means. That light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not overcome it. This is incredible news, not just at Christmas, but any time of the year, that no matter how hopeless you feel, the hope, life, and light of Jesus, if you've trusted in him, cannot be overcoming you. John 8, 12, Jesus says, I am the light of the world. Anyone who follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. So I could just keep going on, but I want to spend the rest of our time this morning reading accounts of Jesus displaying that he truly is the mighty God. And so I want to do this by, by reading through the seven signs in John's gospel. So there's, there are seven signs where he does something that only God could do, proving that he really is God. And so I know we're like later into the message, and so maybe getting a little tired of me, of sitting here. I get that, okay? So, but I want to challenge you. Listen closely. Don't tune out. As I read each account, um, let it sink in that this is Jesus. And after I read each account, I also want someone to just yell out how Jesus displayed being the mighty God. And don't overthink it. It'll be pretty obvious, okay? Don't, don't be shy there. But first, let me just pray for our hearts and minds, and then we'll hear from God through his word. So Jesus, I just pray now. Maybe we, we're, we're just feeling really tired this morning or, or just weighed down or our thoughts are just elsewhere right now. I pray that you would, you would focus our hearts and minds on you and we'd be attentive and amazed by you, Jesus. Pray this in your name. Amen. Okay. John 2, 1 through 11. On the third day, a wedding took place in Cana of Galilee. And Jesus' mother was there, and Jesus and his disciples were invited to the wedding as well. When the wine ran out, Jesus' mother told him, They don't have any wine. What is this concern of yours to do with me, woman? Jesus asked. My hour is not yet come. Do whatever he tells you, his mother told the servants. Now six stone water jars had been set there for Jewish purification. Each contained 20 or 30 gallons. Fill the jars with water, Jesus told them. So they filled them to the brim. Then he said to them, now draw some out and take it to the head waiter. And they did. When the head waiter tasted the water after it had become wine, he did not know where it had come from. Though the servants who had drawn the water knew, he called the groom and told him, everyone sets out the, the fine wine first, then after people are drunk, the inferior, but you have kept the fine wine until now. Jesus did this, the first of his signs in Cana of Galilee, he revealed his glory and his disciples believed in him. Okay, 
How is Jesus displaying that he is the mighty God here? Turned water into wine, but not just wine, top shelf wine. Yeah, good wine. Jesus didn't even lift a finger either. Did you catch that? He didn't do it. He just said, hey, go, go pour some water in there. Incredible. He truly is the mighty God. All right, next one, John 4, 46 to 54. He went again to Cana of Galilee, where he had turned the water into wine. And there was a certain royal official whose son was ill at Capernaum. When this man heard that Jesus had come from Judea into Galilee, he went to him and pleaded with him to come down and heal his son since he was about to die. And Jesus told him, unless you people see signs and wonders, you will not believe. Sir, the official said to him, come down before my boy dies. Go, Jesus told him, your son will live. The man believed what Jesus said to him and departed. While he was still going down, his servants met him, saying that his boy was alive. And he asked them at what time he got better. Yesterday at one in the afternoon, the fever left him, they answered. The father realized this was the very hour at which Jesus had told him, your son will live. So he himself believed along with his whole household. Now this was also the second sign Jesus performed after he came from Judea to Galilee. So how is Jesus the mighty God in this story? Yeah, healed a boy from illness. What's even more amazing is he wasn't even there. He was miles away and he heals this boy. And he did this to help them believe. All right, next one, John 5, 1 through 9. I just think these get better and better. It's, it's awesome, early crescendo. So John 5, 1 through 9. After this, a Jewish festival took place and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. By the sheep gate in Jerusalem, there's a pool called Bethesda in Aramaic, which has five colonnades. Within these lay a large number of the disabled, blind, lame, and paralyzed. One man was there who had been disabled for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and realized he had already been there a long time, he said to him, Do you want to get well? Sir, the disabled man answered, I have no one to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up, but while I'm coming, someone goes down ahead of me. Get up, Jesus told him. Pick up your mat and walk. Instantly, the man got well, picked up his mat, and started to walk. How is Jesus the mighty God here? He healed the lame. His words did it. Notice him being the word here. He says, get up, pick up your mat, and walk. Didn't even touch the guy. Get up. He gets up after 38 years of being disabled, healed. Next one, John 6, 1 to 14. After this, Jesus crossed the Sea of Galilee, or Tiberias. A huge crowd was following him because they saw the signs that he was performing by healing the sick. And Jesus went up a mountain and sat down there with his disciples. Now the Passover, a Jewish festival, was near. So when Jesus looked up and noticed a huge crowd coming toward him, he asked Philip, where will we buy bread so that these people can eat? He asked this to test him, for he himself knew what he was going to do. And Philip answered him, 200 denarii worth of bread wouldn't be enough for each of them to have a little. One of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, there's a boy here who has five barley loaves and two fish. But what are they for so many? And Jesus said, have the people sit down. There was plenty of grass in that place, so they sat down, and the men numbered about 5,000. 
Then Jesus took the loaves, and after giving thanks, he distributed them to those who were seated, so also with the fish, as much as they wanted. When they were full, he told his disciples, collect the leftovers so that nothing is wasted. So they collected them and filled 12 baskets with the pieces from the five barley loaves that were left over by those who had eaten. When the people saw the sign he had done, they said, this truly is the prophet who is to come into the world. So how is Jesus the mighty God here? Fed 5,000. He actually probably fed more like double that because that was just the amount of men there. So it was obviously women and children as well that were present and they had leftovers as well. Five loaves, two fish. Everyone's fed. 10,000 plus people and there's leftovers. He truly is the provider the God of matter itself. Next, John 6, 16 to 21. When evening came, his disciples went down to the sea, got into a boat, and started across the sea to Capernaum. Darkness had already set in, but Jesus had not yet come to them. A high wind arose, and the sea began to churn. And after they had rowed about three or four miles, they saw Jesus walking on the sea. He was coming near the boat, and they were afraid. But he said to them, it is I, don't be afraid. Then they were willing to take him on board, and at once the boat was at the shore where they were heading. How is Jesus the mighty God here? I know it's really obvious. Just go for it. I'm trying to keep you engaged. Yeah, he walked on water. What else? There's one more thing. Did you catch it at the very end? Saved him from the storm. Good. One more. He teleportation. Did you catch that? At once the boat was at the shore where they were heading. Looks like teleportation to me. Incredible. All right. Just gets better, I'm telling you. John chapter 9 now, 1 through 7. As he was passing by, he saw a man blind from birth. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Neither this man nor his parents sinned, Jesus answered. This came about so that God's works might be displayed in him. We must do the works of him who sent me until it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. And after he had said these things, he spit on the ground, made some mud from the saliva, and spread the mud on his eyes. Go, he told them, wash in the pool of Siloam, which means sent. So he left, washed, and came back, seeing. How is he the mighty God here? What? Be bold. Yeah, gave sight to the blind. John 11, 38 to 44. Then Jesus, deeply moved again, came to the tomb. It was a cave, and a stone was lying against it. Remove the stone, Jesus said. Martha, the dead man's sister, told him, Lord, there's already a stench because he's been dead four days. Jesus said to her, didn't I tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? So they removed the stone. Then Jesus raised his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you heard me. I know that you always hear me, but because of the crowd standing here, I said this so that they may believe you sent me. After he said this, he shouted with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out bound hand and foot with linen strips 
and with his face wrapped in a cloth. And Jesus said to them, unwrap him and let him go. How is he the mighty God here? Raise the dead. Power over death itself that he would then go on to conquer for all time by dying and rising from the dead. But Lazarus, he died. Jesus is still alive today. So this Christmas season, stand in awe of Jesus, the mighty God, and find rest in Jesus. Because as Corey Ten Boom said, if you look at the world, you'll be distressed. If you look within, you'll be depressed. But if you look at Christ, you'll be at rest. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you for the rest, the joy, the life, the light that you give us from Jesus. We thank you, Jesus, that you are God, that you are creator and sustainer of the universe, yet love us more than we even love ourselves. I pray, Jesus, that as we behold your greatness, it would move us to our knees in worship of you, would humble us. And Jesus, that you would just soften and change our hearts. Forgive us, Jesus, for walking through days without even recognizing how great you are and how good you are. Thank you that you never change in an in a ever-changing world and with our thoughts and feelings that are always changing, you are the same yesterday, today, and forever. Help us to find rest and joy in that this Christmas season. In your name we pray, amen.